Listening to the coffee hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. We are going to search the scriptures today in the Lutheran Witness. Looking forward to that with our friend Pastor Roy Askins. Thanks to Concordia University Wisconsin for supporting the coffee hour. Find out more about Concordia University Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live uncommon. It is time to crack open the November issue of the Lutheran Witness with Pastor Roy Askins, managing editor of the Lutheran Witness. Good morning. Good morning. How are you guys today? We're good. <laughs> I'm glad to be here. I'm, that's right. I, You know what? It's refreshing that we get to study God's Word with you today. I'll agree. I, I look yes. forward to it. <laughs> so thanks for making time for us so we could study God's Word. And searching the scriptures, we're going to take a look at what? Ephesians 5 today? Is Ephesians right? 5 is the, the text that's up. Yeah. Before we jump into that, just real quick, the theme for this issue. Yeah, the theme for this issue is on eternal life. We have all sorts of beliefs revolving around eternal life, what eternal life will be like. We have many misconceptions about what eternal life is and what it will be like. And so we take some of those on. I particularly like the cover. It's very plain and it it, it brings into sharp focus the primary focus of our eternal life with God in Christ Jesus. And that is the Lamb and Him crucified. We we tend to think about all the other great things that are going to be happening in eternal life with our Lord, and uh, and you know the great things are going to be there, of course. But the primary central figure of our eternal life will be worship around the Lamb and and, and the throne. I thought the designers did a great job of just kind of bringing that into a sharp sharp focus for us. Yeah, there's no mistaking what this issue is about. That's right. Kind of nice. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So we're di- we're in Ephesians, and, and we didn't oh. actually describe it. So you're gonna have oh, to yeah. wait to get it in your in your mailbox because you're all gonna wonder now, and that's that's the way I like it. Oh man, yeah. mystery. The power Mystery. of radio. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Yes. So we're in Ephesians 5, and we're in the last part of Ephesians 5 today. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. So what 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 are we going to be digging into today? We're going to be digging into marriage and the church and, and how those two are connected and what husbands and wives can learn from about their life together <clears throat> from, the, from the church and, and how how their marriage is a reflection of that church. So we have some, it, it is a contentious, in some ways can be considered a contentious passage regarding uh, regarding these relationships. So it should, should be a fun discussion. I'm sure it will be. <laughs> All right. Shall we start with question one? Mm-hmm. Okay. Read Ephesians 5 verse 21. The verse connects to, the verse connects the preceding section to Ephesians 5 Verses 22 through 33, many have struggled with the command for wives to submit to their husbands and used verse 21 to blunt the force of the word submit. Discuss how understanding submission as a hierarchy or ordering of God's people underneath Christ Jesus might affect the way you understand the rest of this passage. You are jumping right in. We are just going for the one, two, right from the beginnings. Loud splash. Verse 21, I have heard interpreted, so that the verse is, you know, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Of course, that's actually a clause. The full passage here is singing together. It says, you know, do not get drunk with wine. Then it continues singing together and then giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So this is a concluding phrase here. And it actually is kind of a hinge that links us to the preceding section. Now, I've heard this interpreted in the sense that 
well, this doesn't, you know, what this is basically saying is husbands and wives each submit to each other. So when it says wives submit to your husbands, it's it's just this mutual submission type of thing. And, and while I understand the sentiment there, that's actually not how this passage is being used. And once again, it's this hinge that connects the beginning of chapter 5, right? Will therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, right? Do not be sexually immoral. So all this kind of teaching and instruction on the Christian life. It's connecting that then to the relationship between husbands and wives, but also the relationship to children and their father, and also to slaves and masters, which are going to be the also included in this section. Actually, sorry, those will be in chapter 6, so we're not actually going to touch on them this time. But but that phrase, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, kind of governs all three of those relationships here. And it's the idea of ordering and structuring, to order one's life under or in a in a hierarchy. And the point here being that as wives submit to their husbands, they do so in an order and a hierarchy such that the husband isn't himself the ultimate master. The husband is himself also under authority, right? He is also within this order and this structure and this hierarchy. So the, this, it's this idea of, of this, you can think of this in kind of like a military terms, kind of military language, right? You have a, a lieutenant, right? And this lieutenant this is actually, I'm, I'm totally riffing off of Pastor David Peterson here. This military, you have a lieutenant, and he's a new, he's just in, right? He's still kind of figuring things out, and then he's got a command sergeant major that is technically responsible to him, but has 20 to 30 years of experience, right? So the, the, the sergeant major orders his life under this lieutenant, but that lieutenant better be listening to what that command sergeant major has to say, because he's got all the experience and the life, even though the command sergeant major is enlisted, he's structured under the lieutenant, because the lieutenant's an officer or they still, you know, kind of this mutual conversation and, and work together. They still have this ordering and this hierarchy and this structure, and it's there for a reason and for a purpose. And so that's kind of what St. Paul is setting up here with this phrase, submitting to one another of reverence of Christ. Here is then this life of the Christian, one that's ordered under Christ, then ordered husbands and wives and children and so forth and so on. And and this is in all aspects of life, even for, for masters and slaves, as we're going to talk about next month. You know, slaves order their lives under their masters. This is part of the responsibility. This is also a really hard teaching, especially when we talk about slavery. You know, we're going to get kind of like two really good, <laughs> good controversial issues here together. You know, slavery is not explicitly condemned in this in this text in, in Ephesians chapter 6. Slaves are actually encouraged to order their lives under their masters in a godly way, and, and masters are expected. Likewise, in this same structure, masters can't go out and beat their slaves. Why not? Well, they also stand under authority, right? They are to, to care for and provide for them. So uh, that's kind of the... Uh, the idea here, this idea of ordering and structure. Anything else on question one? I think we can move on from there. Read question number two. Read Ephesians chapter five, verses 22 through 24. St. Paul builds these verses on numerous passages in Ephesians chapter one. I am how the church submits to Christ. What do these passages teach us about how the wife submits to her husband? So the passage is, Wives, submit to your own husbands, as to the Lord, for the Lord is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, 
so also wives submit in everything to their husbands. So the church submits, orders her life under Christ, so also the, the wives order their lives under their husbands. So what are some of these other passages that we have where we have the church, talking about the church and the relationship with Christ? Well, first off, we have Ephesians chapter 1, verses 21, and 20, uh, 21 through 23, where we're talking about Christ, and the, the honor and glory he has been given, and how he has been given uh, you know, this, the, the right hand of the heavenly places, and the, and the passage says that he rules far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and in all, right? So he is, the, he is the head, the church is his body, they're intimately tied together and united, but as the head, he is the one who has authority and responsibility over the body, and she submits, the church submits to Christ in that ordering. We also have Ephesians chapter 2, verses 20 to 21, in which St. Paul talks about how the church is united together. We are no longer strangers and aliens to one another, but Jews in, in this context, Jews and Gentiles, are united together. And how are they built together? They're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, as we talked about months ago, that is the, the scriptures. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, right? He's that which, which keeps, keeps them together, and the church rests on him. She builds and grows in him, right? She's also rooted in his love. This is Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17 through 19, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ. Kind of an interesting side thing here that I was going to get to later, but we can talk about it now. In the Lutheran orders of vows that we have in the Lutheran agenda for husbands and wives, it's interesting that husbands vow to love their wives, but did you know wives don't actually vow to love their husbands? No. My wife remembers this. Ah. <laughs> they vow to submit to him, right, in light of this passage here in, in, uh. in Ephesians chapter 5. And so my wife will tell me, I don't have to love you. I only vow to submit to you. That's easier. But the, the point being here that, that this life of law, that this life of submission to Christ that the church has is also done in love. So even though my wife jokes with me, of course, about simply submitting, this is actually done as an expression of love. So it is all intimately tied up together. But just an interesting little factoid here. Do you mean keep going or should we move on to another another passage we can do it we can do a couple more we'll do a couple more so the church also receives gifts from christ right so that once again talking about this relationship with christ in the church the church receives gifts from christ and so we see this in ephesians chapter 4 verses 7 through 12 where it talks about grace being given to the members of the church in accord with the measure of christ's gifts and he talks about apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers once again the expression of christ's love for the church and providing and caring for her and therefore as a result of this or therefore the church also submits to him and receives these gifts from him and it, it goes on if you want to look up the other passages if you don't have your your text in front of you your bible study in front of you you can look up ephesians 4 verses 15 through 16 ephesians 4 verses 32 to 5 2 and then ephesians 5 verses 18 to 20 and i want to touch here 
on this last one, Ephesians 5, 18 through 20, I think this is a helpful passage also for us to consider how the church speaks of and relates to her husband. He says, St. Paul writes, and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The church gives thanks for Christ. She praises him. She blesses him. She gives him glory and honor. She builds him up. This is something we struggle with both as husbands and wives, but we don't tear down our spouse, right? We build them up. We, we as the church loves and blesses Christ, so also husbands and wives need to learn how to cover over the sins, right? Keep those, learn to forgive those, but then learn to build up and encourage your husband or your wife uh, as you live together, especially in front of others. I, I, I get really quite angry when I hear husbands talk about their wives in a derogatory fashion, you know, the old ball and chain. That language should never be in the mouth of a Christian who loves his wife and wants to provide for her and care for her. In the same way, I have no patience for a wife that tears down her husband and doesn't show him the love and respect as the one who has the duty and responsibility to provide and care for her, to ensure that she has a home and food and and, and to, to be her source of comfort and encouragement. As the church praises Christ in all things and as Christ provides for his church and, and gives her so also husbands and wives are to praise and encourage one another and provide for each other. We are searching the scriptures in the November issue of The Lutheran Witness with the Reverend Roy Askins, managing editor of The Lutheran Witness. We'll continue the conversation in just a moment right here on The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. At Concordia University, Wisconsin, we believe you were created for a reason, to use your God-given gifts to help others, to live a life of self-sacrifice in a me-first world, to live a life that's uncommon. Whether you're taking one of 50-plus online programs or learning with us in person on the shores of Lake Michigan, you'll be equipped to make an uncommon impact. Learn more at cuw.edu. Concordia University, Wisconsin. Live uncommon. Welcome back to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. We are taking a look at the Searching the Scriptures in the November issue of The Lutheran Witness with the Reverend Roy Askins. We are, okay, we've made it through two questions in Ephesians chapter five. You ready can, for we question? do, can we do part one and part two? You know, I might have to do this like a follow-up here. Question number three. Yeah, let's go for it. Read Ephesians chapter five, verse 25. How does St. Paul's address to husbands differ from how he addressed wives? How does the command differ? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So grammatically, it's hard to tell the difference in English, but in in the first command in verse 22, it's wives kind of generally, right? He's not speaking to wives in particular. He's saying, wives, here's what wives do, submit to your husbands. Whereas here in 25, he's actually addressing husbands directly. He's speaking to them. Uh, In fact, you could translate it, oh, husbands, like, I'm, I'm looking at you now. Oh, husbands, go do this. So it's kind of a direct, particular command to the husbands. And he says, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The audience to whom St. Paul is writing, 
writing. Would have expected 22 to 24, you know, wives submit to your husbands. This is kind of, this wasn't an uncommon idea in the Roman world at the time. They would not have expected verse 25. Rather, they would have expected something like this. They would have expected husbands rule your wives well, right? Hmm. Keep them in order, you know, make sure they're doing all the things they're supposed to be doing, right? Provide for them. They would not have expected love them. That is actually an unusual thing for them to hear. And then he makes this connection with the love of Christ for the church, right? How does Christ love the church? Well, he sacrifices himself for her. He comes down and dies for her and and gave himself up for her. Well, this is the command to husbands. Love them in the way that Christ loved the church and dying for her. We're going to kind of expand this a bit more in this next section. So I think we can go on to the next question. All right. Question four. Read Ephesians 5, verses 25 through 27. What is love in this context? An emotion, an action? How has Christ loved the church? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without any spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So the first thing to note here is is the connection that St. Paul is making is to an action that Christ is doing, right? Christ's love here is not an emotion. It's not a feeling, though he certainly has emotions, like he weeps for his friends, right? He weeps for Jerusalem. He looks on the disciple whom he loved, right? So he does have this emotion as a human being. But the primary way that St. Paul points out that Christ loved the church is by an action. It's by a thing that he's doing for the church, namely that he's dying for her so that he can present her to himself without blemish, holy and without blemish. Now we're going to dive into the, the, the sanctify language a little bit later on, but this is the action. Love is here in this context, an action. My vicarage supervisor and my wife loved this conversation we had with him. Pastor Kenneth Weeding said he had would have couples come in and say, well, we just don't love each other anymore, right? Struggling with our marriage, we just don't love each other. And he would look at them, kind of the pregnant pause, and he would say, well, start. <laughs> right? And this is startling to those of us who aren't used to this idea of love as an action, right? It's The emotion's gone. I'm not feeling it, right? I'm not attracted to this person or that spark that we had when we were first dating isn't there anymore. How do I start an emotion? Well, the, the point is you don't start an emotion. You start an action, right? Love is actually expressed as an action for your spouse. So the husband loves his wife by sacrificing himself, by providing for her, ensuring that she has a home where the children can be raised, by by the wife also likewise loves her husband by submitting to him this is also an action right an, an action of her love by submitting uh, ordering her life under him and under his direction so th- this idea of love is an idea of action of doing something for the for someone else and and caring in that way question five yeah, I think question five is going to be pretty tied up with this one, too. The, you know, the thing is, is all of these are tied together. So let's go ahead and do five, and we'll walk back and forth between the, between the two. Read Ephesians 5, 28 to 30. How are husbands to love their wives? 28 to 30. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Verse 30? Yeah. 
because we're members of his body. Okay, so how is a husband to love his wife? You know, we talked about how what, what do wives learn from the way the church submits to Christ. Now, what do husbands learn from the way that Christ loves the church? Kind of going back to the previous verses, what does Christ do? He dies that he might sanctify this bride. Now, I'm sure we've talked about the language of sanctify in previous studies. Do you recall? We've done so many of them, and they all kind of mush together yeah. eventually. Not off the top of my head. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, then good. So. We can we can run with it. So that, what is the idea of sanctify? The, the language of sanctify means to make something holy. Now, what is a holy thing? It is without spot. It is without blemish. It is sinless. But holy things are also those things that are set apart, right? We talk about the, the, the communion chalice, right? That is a holy vessel, not because it's sinless per se, but because you're not going to take it home and drink coffee out of it. You're not going to take it home and put a mixed drink in it, right? You've set it apart for a particular purpose. That is to hold the body or the blood of Christ and to dispense that blood of Christ to his people and to his church. And so Christ dies that he might take the church and sanctify her, that is to set her apart from the world, right? So also the husband does this. He is to set apart his wife as holy, right? In other words, to set her apart, to, to, to set himself apart also for her, right? To prove himself, not to be out being profligate with, with you know, in a sexual way, with prostitutes or, or in, a, in, a, in a covetous way by you know, overworking and never being home, right? But actually to be set apart for her and her for him, to Reserve themselves for each other exclusively. That's part of this whole language of sanctify and set apart, right? And then to die to himself, right? Christ ultimately, of course, was not being selfish in his death, but was giving, completely giving himself. So also the husband must learn. And, and this, this, I mean, Andy here, you're a husband, you know how hard this is. In some ways, Pastor Weeding, once again, I go back to Pastor Weeding, he would talk to couples in, in marriage counseling, and he would say, husbands, you actually have it harder in some ways. You know, nobody wants to be told to submit, but husbands, you were to die to yourself every day for the sake of your wife and your family. You were to sacrifice yourself, your own desire what's best for her, not what's best for you, right? And sometimes, sometimes that means making decisions she doesn't like and having to put up with her ire and anger over the consequence of this decision, but because you know it's what's best for the family, right? So all of these things are kind of tied together and and it, it's a very, very difficult thing for husbands to learn how to do, to die to oneself. Trust me, I, I struggle with it. Andy, do you, uh, do you find this easy? Do I find it easy? <laughs> yes. Maybe that's an easy question. No. <laughs> it, it, There's it, very little in life that I find easy, though. <laughs> the, this constant struggle of learning to die to self is is how the husband is to live live for his wife, set up, setting her apart and then once again setting himself apart for her. Question six? I think so. All right. Read Ephesians 5, verses 22 through 33. What is St. Paul's primary concern in discussing the relationship between man and wife? So uh, we're going to read the whole passage all over again. That's why I had us do that and, and kind of get this overview here. So submitting to one another selves, uh, to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his own body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their own husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing with water through the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. 
the same way husbands should love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. The primary point of this entire discussion is right there at the end. He discusses this relationship between husbands and wives because he wants to hold up the relationship of Christ and the church. That's the primary point here. And this is where uh, kind of having this perspective in mind is very helpful for husbands and wives as they think about the relationship with one another. The relationship of marriage is a reflection of the relationship between Christ and the church. So the the primary relationship under discussion here is not actually husbands and wives. His primary point of discussion is actually Christ and the church, right? And this relationship that, that the body of Christ has to its head, to Christ. How she submits to him, how he loves her by giving himself completely and fully for her, that she might be holy and without blemish. And our marriages here on earth, filled with sin as they are, and, and the constant struggle of two sinful people. You know, as, as uh, Pastor Nestigan once said, anytime you put two sinners together, there's going to be problems, right? And so as we live in these sinful, broken marriages and, and, and struggle under these, these burdens of sin and learn to forgive and love one another, this is not the primary thing. This is the reflection of the primary thing, which is Christ and the church, in which there is perfect and complete love and union, and there is no sin because it has been forgiven and redeemed in the blood of Christ. And so our marriages here on earth are a reflection of that. And then also as a result of that become a witness before the world of to whom we belong you know that sort of a thing so yeah did i get it i think so right (laughs) on the money how to get the the lutheran witness how to find it how to find the lutheran witness visit witness.lcms.org you can find the lutheran witness there we have a a page where if you want to subscribe you can go to our subscribe page and you can subscribe either to our email newsletter which is free or to the print magazine which you'll do at cph's website that's all right there on the the witness.lcms.org page very good our guest today the reverend roy askins managing editor of the lutheran witness thanks so much for joining us today thank you for having me you've been listening to the coffee hour I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support the Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you. Anytime. Anywhere. Anywhere.